Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to today's episode. Today's episode is going to be all about communication styles. Now, there are different categories of communication styles. I mean, if you go into a deep dive on the internet and kind of look up communication styles, they categorize them differently depending on what you're talking about. So there's different kinds of communication styles if you're talking about the workplace, and they're labeled differently. But I'm in particular talking about communication styles with people that are in your life, people that you already know, people that you are likely to have, you know, possible conflict with or try and resolve conflict with. So this is most likely to be around your romantic partner, your family, your best friends, people like this. So I'm going to be talking about that particular category of communication styles. I also will be doing a brain fact today. I have not done a brain fact in a couple of episodes, so bringing that back for today. And... Firstly, what I want to share with you guys is a bit of an announcement. I've kind of been drip feeding this to you guys and I did mention it on my Instagram the other day, but next week on the 3rd of Feb, I think it's, well, it's the 3rd of Feb in Australia and I believe it is the 2nd of Feb in the US when this comes out because obviously there's a time difference, but I am going to be a content creator on an app called Sunroom. So a bit of an introduction to what Sunroom is. Sunroom is this app that's about to launch. It's not been out. It's a brand new app. And one of the founders of Sunroom is Michelle Battersby, who has, um, I fucking love Michelle Battersby. She's kind of the one that launched Bumble in kind of the Australia and I believe the Asia Pacific region maybe like four or five years ago. And then she's teamed up with Lucy Mort, who was one of the designers for the Hinge app. And the two of them have gotten together and they have launched Sunroom. So Sunroom is an app for content creators and it's for all sorts of content creators. There there are poets on there. There are what I'll be doing, obviously, mindset stuff on there. There's like fitness people, all kinds of sexologists, like anything that you would kind of think of, you could probably find on Sunroom. There's even people that might have like a really big profile on social media, but they want a more kind of intimate audience um, where they can be more connected to. So they bring that audience across to Sunroom and they're sharing kind of a deeper insight into their life. And I think it's kind of good to have Sunroom because you've got you know, for a lot of people, they've got their community that's really kind of invested in in them and they're not going to have like these trolls that are just following them and then, you know writing shit on their comments or DMing them rubbish for no reason. Like this is kind of for people that are genuinely interested in what you have to do and have come to Sunroom to see your content and to kind of interact with your content on Sunroom. So it's really, really cool for that. So I'm going to explain what I'm going to be doing on Sunroom with my profile. It's going to be a a bit of everything. You're going to definitely get a deeper insight into my life. I want to be doing more kind of more explanations of what my daily routine is, how I work through business decisions, how I'm going to start growing the business that I've got, the podcast. I'm also going to be able to respond to member DMs. I'll have a lot more capacity to do that as I'm really, really, really like, I'm just so bad at responding to the DMs on Instagram. I do get quite a bit every day. And I only get to literally just a handful of them. I'm also going to be able to, I'll be doing a lot of like anonymous Q&As on there in like video format where I, you know, answer everyone's questions, obviously anonymously on there. I'll be doing mindset hacks. I'm bringing back mindset hacks, but it's going to be on Sunroom. So I think a lot of people might, because <laughs> I don't know which episodes I've spoken about where mindset hacks was launching, but if someone's just come to this podcast and they've gone back and just occurred to me recently, and they've gone back and listened to some of the earlier episodes, I'm talking about mindset hacks is about to launch this and that and people are like where the fuck is this fucking mindset hacks because I've since taken it down 
And I did that just before kind of my last semester at uni. I stopped doing that. Um, and I was always intending to bring it back. It's a bit later than I thought, but it's back now. So every week there's kind of a different little module to work through. I'm also going to be talking about, I'm also going to be doing like guided meditations, um, breathing exercises, um, affirmations and kind of daily statements that you can do. It's all, all that bunched together in this one place. It's like video and photo format and it is just so exciting. Now, there's two ways that you can access the content on Sunroom. There, Well, technically three. One of them is there are certain pieces of content, not just with me, but every user. There's going to be certain parts of the content that will be free for everyone to access. And that's up to the content creator to decide that. Like you choose how much you want to have free. So some people might have nothing free um, and some people might have a whole bunch free and just a little bit that you pay for. The second option is that you pay a membership. Again, the content creator decides what that membership is. Mine's going to be around kind of like the maybe I haven't fully, fully said it, but it's probably around like the maybe $14 a month mark. And you pay that monthly membership and it just kind of continues to tick over until you choose to cancel. Uh, And then the last option is that if you are not a member, so if you are a member, you access everything that's on that page at all times. There's nothing that is held back from members ever. And that's, members are also the ones that DM me and I respond back and all of that. But if you're not a member and you still want to access content, you can pay through these, it's called Beams and you buy like Beams and the Beams work not just for my page, but for any other content creator, like my friend Lucy Jackson, she's going to be on there doing some cool stuff and you know, there's people that give business advice there. So when you buy Beams, you don't have to just use the Beams on that one person that you came to follow. You can use it on anyone and Beams can unlock individual posts and sometimes the beams unlock the post like you can see some of the content and then you pay beams to see the rest of the content so it's it's really laid out in a way that the creator can decide um what is accessible what's not and what percent of that is accessible and what's just for members so it's pretty cool and I'm so excited to finally get back into doing this because it's it is my mindset hacks but it's also kind of a way that I can connect to you know, my audience in a deeper way without it being to like my whole audience on Instagram. Like I feel like I'd be putting up way more of like my personal life and my, what I'm doing and all of that stuff on Sunroom versus on Instagram. I still do stuff on Instagram, of course, but Sunroom will just be a more kind of intimate, you know, connection with my, you know, audience that wants that kind of information and that wants that kind of stuff. I'm very excited. So I will be updating you when that actually does go live. If you do follow me on Instagram, I'll be updating you on that as well if you're interested in um, checking that out and joining. But yeah, it's happening very soon, literally in just like less than a week. And of course, my podcast is still going to stay at two episodes a week. So if you don't have the capacity to be on there paying the membership or whatever, my free content of the two episodes a week in my podcast remains the same. So nothing's going to change for the people that don't want that extra content. Um, Yeah, so let's get into the brain fact for today. Today I'm going to be explaining what misophonia is. It's this interesting condition. It's a condition, but it's not a mental disorder. So it's where strong negative emotions are triggered by certain sounds. And I feel like we all get it to some extent, like nails on a blackboard or a knife scratching a plate or someone like chewing in a certain way right in your ear that it just drives you mad, right? But it's often to repetitive or pattern-based sounds. Some, some, uh, Specialists say that it's only to repetitive and pattern-based sounds, but some are more broad with their description of it. And some people refer to it as selective sound sensitivity. So it begins in childhood and it begins around the age of 12-ish. Um, and it's 
kind of a lot of sensitivity. It's, it's where sounds become really aggravating, okay? And it's like chewing, breathing, also, like it could be something that for the everyday person, if they haven't even paid attention to it, they might not even notice that sound. But for them, it's just magnified in their head and extreme, like they can't focus on anything else, right? And it doesn't have to be that the sound is louder at all. But to them, it probably seems louder because of their negative response to that sound and what's happening and they're just kind of like magnifying it in their head. And it can actually be like pretty distressing. So imagine how you feel when there's like a screaming baby or not even a baby, like a person who's like screaming nonstop. That feeling that you feel, you know, when you're just like quite uneasy and uncomfortable and it's kind of like, ah, like I can't really settle down. I have this noise. I mean, A, you could actually like care why they're crying. But let's say you didn't, let's say you didn't give a flying fuck about why this baby or person is crying. It's still quite a distressing feeling to have that sound kind of where you can't really think about anything else. So imagine feeling that way over all these sounds during the day and that that just triggers that kind of response all throughout the day. So imagine like for students, it can be extremely distracting if they're trying to, you know, study or work in the classroom and every, well, not every sound, but all these certain sounds are triggering that kind of visceral emotional response, okay? Now, different specialists categorize it slightly differently. So some say that the sounds have to be connected to the human body, like breathing, chewing, that kind of stuff. And then others say that it absolutely doesn't have to be. It could be anything, like it could be tapping someone like tapping their foot. It could be cars going by or a tap that's dripping or anything kind of, it could be repetitive or something that's just like a sound that to them is just not pleasant and it's happening kind of, it's not just a one-off sound. It has to kind of happen in some sort of a pattern. But regardless, it is linked to um, extreme stress, which then links to anger and anxiety and even depression in some cases. But it's not considered a mental disorder in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. So it's just considered a, um, a condition at the moment at least. And sometimes in some cases when the child is younger, it can be misdiagnosed as autism or as other things altogether, but autism is one of the ones that it gets misdiagnosed at or an attentional disorder because for children, how they demonstrate, like how they react to it, they might not be like, this one particular sound is driving me fucking insane. They might not as a child identify that it's that sound that's causing this emotional reaction. So they might have this and they're really restless. They're not able to pay attention. They're just not really engaging. And it could be because of misophonia, because they're just absolutely being driven insane by this sound where their hearing is intact. Everything's like, it's not like, you know, it's loud or whatever, but they just can't switch their focus off that. Um, it's also comorbid with OCD, anxiety disorders, Tourette syndrome and other things as well. So what's happening in the brain? There's a bit of research that's being done. There's actually not much research on this at all, but recently they're trying to do more and more research just to kind of get to the bottom of it. But what seems to be happening in the brain is that these trigger sounds evoke this much larger response in this part of the brain called the right anterior insula and also the right superior temporal cortex. So there's two parts of the brain um, in particular that are getting a much larger response and that was seen when they would compare um, patients with misophonia to control to a control group that didn't have misophonia. And when you're comparing to like a generally triggering sound to the general population, there's not really much difference between the patients and the activity in their brain. So if you're like nails on a blackboard or something that's like really fucking annoying for anybody or for 
the general population, you're not really seeing much of a difference with those with the brain patterns. It's more so when it's kind of a pattern or a repetitive sound where the control group wouldn't really be annoyed by it. You're seeing all these changes in the group with misophonia, which I find pretty interesting. So what these researchers are thinking is that the cues or these sounds that are activating these areas in the brain, those two areas – are then provoking this like arousal, this like physical, physiological arousal where it's like anxiety or anger or distress and then these aversive emotions crop up, okay? And then it's kind of like a loop where the brain then associates the sound with arousal and intense emotions and then the sound becomes an even greater trigger. It's that whole thing of like circuits as they like wire together, they get stronger and stronger and stronger and then it becomes a thing that's a subconscious pattern, okay? So it's not like this person's done it on purpose. There's just for whatever reason in certain people, there's just already um, – a tendency for those areas to be more connected to the parts of arousal that's going to like bring on these like feelings of anxiety or anger or, or stress. And in particular, in people with misophonia, they find that these structures is actually connected differently to the cortex and the hippocampus. The hippocampus being the part of the brain that's involved in learning, emotional processing, memory, all of that. Um, it's hyper connected. So there's like excessive connectivity there. And that cortex and hippocampus is emotional processing. So this kind of connectivity pattern kind of explains why there's this overexpression of annoyance and frustration. It's just too much activity, too much wiring in this pathway. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. And what they're doing to treat it, there's no real treatment at the moment. There's still so much to be learned about it. Um, and it's still not clear how to effectively treat it. Some things work for some people and some things don't, but there's no like blanket treatment for it. But in some cases, they do think that um, expose, exposure therapy helps um, in a controlled environment and also cognitive behavior therapy. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And thanks for the um, suggestion in my, in my DMs. Anyway, let's get into the topic of today. Community communication styles. I'm super excited for this one. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down, there's four of them. I'm going to break down each category, um, what it's all about, what it kind of looks like. So you can either identify it within yourself or you can identify it within your partner or your family or whatever. It's something that can be changed for sure. You can definitely change it. And it's also not exclusive. A lot of people, it's not like um, attachment style or attachment theory where you're pretty much like kind of locked into one unless you really do the work to get out of it. This is more so they can vary. Uh, there is a bit of variability, but you definitely have a dominant style. Some people, they only have one style and that's the main one. But for others, it can kind of flow a little bit in between a couple of them. They might be, you know, more assertive, in general, but sometimes a bit passive or whatever, like or a bit passive aggressive. Or you, you'll find that sometimes people blend across. But you're going to see that there's only one great desirable one that's going to make your relationship with other people so much better, your relationship with yourself so much better. And we're going to talk at the end. I'm going to give you little kind of pointers on how to work towards the best style of communication for your own sake and your own mental health and relationships. So the four styles are one is aggressive, the other one is passive, then we've got passive-aggressive, and then the last one is assertive. Okay, so let's break it down. The first style, aggressive. So this is a really dominant form of communication. It's those people that take over the conversation or the argument and it's almost kind of impossible to have an argument with these people. Now keep in mind, this does not mean, this is not 
or it doesn't have to be someone that is toxic or narcissistic, nothing like that. You could, it could be a fucking legend, but the moment they get worked up, they kind of go off the rails, off the tangent, and you're like, you are fucking impossible to argue with. You're a legend, but every time you get heated, kind of all reasoning goes out the window, and I'm literally in a position where I'm now wasting my time arguing with you. It doesn't necessarily, this is not exclusive to toxic people, okay? This is just how they get when they try and communicate something across, especially when they are heated. Okay. And often a lot of people who have this style of aggressive communication, they might be fine when they're relaxed, but the moment that they're heated and emotional and, you know, stressed or anxious, they then turn into this aggressive communication style. Okay. Um, but having said that all narcissists and toxic people are an aggressive communication style. So this is this really shines when they're feeling attacked or upset. They're going to shift blame really hard. They shift blame onto you. They're never going to take the blame. They are really intense, as the word aggressive suggests. They're loud. They're sometimes in your face. They get frustrated really easily within the conversation. Um, they accuse and they also say you a lot. You do that. You did this. It's your fault. You, you, you are very, very like accusation, accusation, very like pointing at you. Literally aggressive. It's an aggressive style. And they can also, within that moment, they can bully you by making you feel humiliated or small or that it's kind of kind of like all on you. Or, or they might just not even listen altogether, like be super dismissive of you as well. And they're never accountable. They're never going to admit that something was their fault, like ever. Um, everything is everyone else's fault. Everything, everyone else is like the idiot. They never fuck up. Everyone else is confused or just got it wrong, right? And they are really good at causing even more conflict. Like they're going to stir the pot. And this could be in things that could have easily be resolved in a calmer way, like much easier. They, they kind of feel entitled and when they don't get their way, then they're going to feel attacked and then they get defensive. So like I said, it's obviously like narcissists are going to do this as well. But this doesn't mean that you're a narcissist if this is your way of like attacking an argument. It's not healthy, but it doesn't make you a narcissist. So as you can see, the issue with having an aggressive style of communication other than everything I just mentioned is that it forms a big kind of block in the relationship. You're basically telling your partner, you can't come to me about anything because the result is going to be pretty chaotic. You're going to always um, have the blame shifted on you. You're never going to be able to have a calm conversation with me about something that's causing some sort of a conflict or that's making you upset because you know that my reaction every time is going to be unpleasant and hopefully unpleasant enough that you don't pull me up on certain things. That's kind of what's going on in that situation. It's kind of like, don't even bother because you know how unpleasant it's going to be. And it's very kind of very insulting to the partner sometimes when, when that's happening because it's kind of like I literally need to talk about this but you're making me feel like it's now somehow my fault that I've brought it up and you literally turn it around and make it seem the, the issue insignificant and you make my behavior seem like it's such a bad thing. Now let's get on to the next style. Bring on the next category, passive. So passive people, we all know them. We love them. We love them but 
Not ideal, okay? These guys are avoiders. They avoid conflict. They avoid expressing themselves and they avoid offending people. And this obviously is going to then lead to a whole bunch of problems. Like just imagine, you know, they're not getting to the bottom of something. They're never actually resolving the conflict. They're just kind of stepping away, right? They're, they're also, they, they're not good at defending themselves. This is kind of, if you listen to the last episode about being more assertive, this is kind of the opposite of that. People that just can't really stand up for themselves. And these are the kind of people that if they do get stuck in a toxic relationship, they're the ones that are going to find it really difficult to leave the relationship. Because for them, they can't even bring themselves to explain why it is that they're leaving. They're just It's just not something that they're used to doing. So it's really, really hard to justify it in their mind, let alone to somebody else. So interestingly though, Passive people are also the ones that can just out of the blue blow up. Like they absolutely, they've reached a saturation point and they just lose their mind and are screaming, yelling, like throwing stuff. Um, This often occurs in an argument and it's most of the time totally out of proportion to that particular incident that they're blowing up about. But what it is, it's a buildup of so much emotion, of all this suppressing, of all this not explaining, not talking about it, not getting to the bottom of it, just allowing, 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 being so passive that it's, it's it doesn't actually go away. They don't get rid of it. It stays in them. And so then something eventually sets them off and they just lose their mind. They lose their shit. They're screaming. They blow up. And then, unfortunately for them, like in that moment, it gets really hard to regulate their emotion when they're at that heightened level. And then, of course, everyone's going to think that they're crazy or they're a psycho. Oh, my God, look how dramatic they are. Look how they blow up. And it's kind of – I feel really bad because – you don't look at all the other times that they let shit slide and that they didn't stand up for themselves. And then the one time, okay, yeah, it might be disproportionate because they're saturated, but then everyone refers to them as like, oh my God, what a psycho. Oh my God, oh my God. But they don't realize that they never said anything about all the other shit that went down. So it's obviously very unfair, but that's what happens. And then because they're passive, they're mortified that they just blew up. Like they're actually horrified and so embarrassed. And then that then encourages them to go back into their shell and act small again because they were like, oh God, fuck, that was awful. Let's never do that again. And then okay, you repeat this cycle. So it's very, very unhealthy for the individual. People who are passive ultimately are always going to lose out in a situation because they don't say something in the moment to avoid conflict. But then because they don't say something in the moment, they're kind of resenting that person or resenting the relationship because they didn't get their point across or they didn't get what they wanted in that moment. They can't, they, they struggle to get what they want. And they also are the kind of person that's always going to say yes because they don't know how to say no. Um, they can't set boundaries. They struggle to be confident. They struggle to make eye contact when discussing something of importance um, or something that makes them nervous. And they always apologize, even when there's nothing to apologize for. These are the people that are constantly saying sorry. They're saying sorry if someone bumped into them, okay? They never talk about what's affecting them. They just won't open up about issues that they might be facing in a relationship. And then because of that, you can see how this can be so 
detrimental in a relationship. There is a lot of resentment. Sometimes someone super passive might be dating someone who's kind of quite neutral or assertive or maybe a bit aggressive and then it's just a recipe for disaster because the passive person eventually gets to a point where they themselves don't really know what they want because they've become experts at suppressing how they feel, not sharing how they feel, not just being raw, vulnerable, honest, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of that. They just don't want to show that side so they suppress it. But then the issue is they never truly learn what makes them tick, what makes them happy, what they truly want. So they are kind of stuck in this limbo. And then, of course, people can't help someone that's passive. They can't help them. It's really hard to do it and it needs. It requires the passive person to really step out of their comfort zone, really be vulnerable and dig deep and say something in order for something to change. Things aren't going to get better by continuing this style of communication. And if you've got two passive people in a relationship, that's even worse. It's even worse because you've got no one that's out there like trying to dig, dig. It's two avoiders. Two like, everything's fine, everything's fine. It's kind of those marriages that will be together for years and years and years and years. And then when they get divorced, people are like, what? But it looks so fine. And both of them are like, it fucking wasn't fun. It wasn't fine. Both of us hated it, but no one ever said anything. It was, it's that kind of thing. Now let's get on to uh, communication style number three, passive aggressive. This one's a good one. So passive aggressive. This style is really interesting because it's just so confusing, so unhelpful. And uh, I find like, look, none of the, the this one and the last two are great, but this is just like very infuriating, I think, out of all of them. So passive aggressive is when the person appears to be passive in the moment, like the passive communication style I just described. Like nothing's wrong. It's all good. What's wrong? No, no, tell me. No, nothing's wrong. Tell me, tell me. Nothing's wrong. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But then they walk away and then they ignore you for the rest of the day. Or they'll make like a really deep cutting comment that just stabs you right to the heart later on. Out of the blue, it just fucking stabs you because they're carrying this fucking resentment. They're like, how can I attack back in kind of a like subtle, in inverted commas, way? Or they might pretend that everything's fine and then the moment you guys are in front of friends or family, they might make a comment that embarrasses you or humiliates you and then that's demonstrating how they were hurt or why they were hurt and they just didn't just speak about it to you in the moment. Like they're not trying to actually resolve the conflict. They're just trying to make you feel the pain that they felt. It's kind of this like tit for tat. That's what passive aggressive is. And then if you confront them about it, they'll be like, oh, it was a joke. Like they'll fully deflect, fully deflect. And if you say, why are you still upset about this? No, I told you nothing was wrong. It's fine. I'm not upset about it. So they literally just, you can't get to the bottom of the issue even after they've kind of lashed out in their passive aggressive way. So other things that passive aggressive people do is not telling someone what they did wrong, but then going to the other extreme to punish that person. So obviously this is like a lose-lose situation because but everyone's losing out here in this situation. There's no, there's a huge communication breakdown. They are really sarcastic when they're not trying to be funny. So it's not like a funny sarcasm where everyone's laughing. They're like mean sarcastic. They don't want to admit that they're upset or angry. They find that as such like a, a vulnerability. So they don't want to do it. So they're going to pretend that everything is fine and that they're totally unaffected. They will pretend to be happy or carefree, even when they're really upset or hurt or angry. They're the kind of people that can smile Kind of a bit creepy, but they can smile when they're actually angry. Like, I'm fine. No, it's all good. It's fine. It's fine. Fine. And it's like kind of creepy. 
that that's like the intense passive aggressive communication. They're going to of course struggle to express themselves, they're going to struggle to open up and just be honest about what they're feeling and they're going to literally do things to harm the relationship and they self-sabotage. And obviously this is so unhelpful in a romantic relationship because they're going to do things and when I say sabotage the relationship or sabotage the moment, you might be dating someone who has an assertive communication style which I'm going to go into last. And they say they might say something like, do you mind not putting your plates on the counter? Can you just put them in the sink? And a passive-aggressive person would be like, yeah, okay, fine, fine, yep, fine, no problem, no problem. And then they go on a rant picking up every fucking item in the house, not letting anything, oh, oh don't put anything on the counter. Don't put anything on the counter because it's going to upset you. Like, God forbid someone put something on the counter. You know, they just take it to the other extreme and one, you ask for one little thing and they will just be so dramatic about it and then do that one thing but magnified. So it's kind of like, you wanted me to do this? Watch how I fucking do it tenfold. You know, it's very kind of aggressive in its style and it's kind of telling your partner like, good luck trying to pull me up on something. You've now offended me. You've made me feel like I'm not doing something properly. And my revenge to you is to now annoy you and to make you feel like you can't pull me up on this again because I'm going to get so offended or so upset, right? It's like you crossed the line. So now I'm going to make your day a misery by doing this shit that's going to annoy you. Another example of this would be if you want to get advice or help on something, whatever. You're like, can you help me with this thing? And your partner says, oh, sorry, I'm really busy right now. I can't help you. Can we do this a bit later? And for them to be like, yeah, fine. No, no problem. Fine. And they walk away. And then you go up to them later and say, hey, okay, let's work on it. No, 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 fine. No, it's fine. I've, I've sorted it out myself. Or I, I got someone else who can actually help me. It's fine. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. And it's like this, like, they then kind of expect for you to then beg to help you being like, no, no, come on, sit down, let me help you, let this, let that. And they get something out of it because they're like, you hurt me. The only way to fix this in their head is if I hurt you back and then I feel good when you then come crawling back to me. Okay, that's kind of the, this weird dynamic that they have. But they're never, you're never talking about the conflict. You're never talking about the problem. So then you're either causing this really toxic dynamic in the relationship or you're pushing the other person away. But nobody wins here. Nobody wins because you never resolve the actual conflict because you're always avoiding what is at hand. So with the last three communication styles that I just spoke about, um, before I go into the final communication style, which is assertive, a lot of it does have to do as always, with the person's relationship with themselves. It comes from an inability to be totally vulnerable and open in the moment. It's this, I can't just say I was wrong or I can't just say, hey, this isn't really working. Can we kind of be vulnerable and talk about it? Can you tell me where I can pick up the pieces and vice versa? Can we just, it's this fear of being judged. It's a fear of being rejected, abandoned, um, criticized, all those things. So obviously the better your relationship with yourself and the more you feel like I am okay and it's okay for me to make mistakes and work through them and I'm still just as good a person as before I made the mistake. If you can get to that point, then you're a lot more likely to be less attached to these things and this image that you hold of yourself. You're, you're fine with someone knowing that you made a mistake. You're fine with someone knowing that, you know, you did something inappropriate, but you're willing to come and kind of fix it or do, or do something about it. You know, the, the more self-confident you are, the less attachment you have to all these things and the meaning behind them. You're kind of like, 
I'm here for the moment. I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to work through them and we can just move on. Things just linger so much less in your mind because of that. But when you have all these insecurities, then your what people think of you is magnified a hundredfold. And so, of course, you're going to have all these interesting ways of processing conflict and dealing with conflict that's not going to actually resolve the problem. The only communication style that resolves the problem is assertive communication. That is the only one. The other three never gets to the bottom of the problem. And you might not have a seriously toxic relationship. You might be great people. It might be fine, but you're going to realize that when conflict arises, it's just never um, productive and it's never a good time. Not that not that conflict's ever a fucking good time, but in general, you know? So let's talk about it. The last one is assertive. This is the best one. We love assertive. We're going to all aim to get as close to assertive communication as possible. So it's very basic and clear. It's where people just say how they feel. They state what they want. They fight for what they need or fight for what they want while never imposing on someone else's mood or happiness. They're always going to be respectful. They're never aggressive. They're never up in your grill. They're never in your face. They're not raising their voice. They're not yelling. They're just stating the facts and they are a lot happier with hearing when someone has a criticism to tell them. They can even say like, oh, that's a blow to my ego, but I feel you. I'm going to try and do this. Like they can just, they're just honest. They're just honest with everything that's going on. They do have a lot of self-respect. They also know when to walk away. They know where the boundaries are. So like I said before, if, you know, when I said if a passive person is in a toxic relationship, they struggle to walk away. This is the opposite. Not, assertive people can still find themselves in a toxic relationship or in a relationship with a narcissist. But when things cross the line and when too many boundaries are crossed, they know when to walk away because they're like, I've already said what I needed to say. I've done what I can do. I've tried and it's just not going to happen. So I'm going to step away now. And they, they're comfortable with that decision. They might be sad, but they know that it's the right decision. They also have no problem apologizing for something that they've done without a but. They give a real apology. It's not like, oh, I'm sorry that I did that, but. No, 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 no. A proper apology should not come with a but. You can raise the other issue independently at another time or later on in the conversation, but when you apologize, it has to be a true apology, not with an excuse attached to it. Otherwise, do you, do you actually want to apologize? Do you actually feel remorseful for what you did? And it's fine if you didn't, but you need to talk that through. You shouldn't be apologizing for something that you don't think you have to apologize for because then you're going to resent the situation or the person. They can also admit when they're wrong. They don't see it as a reflection on who they are as a person. Like other, the other communication styles might think if this person knows I'm wrong, they might think less of me or they might then think that they can pin this on me, on pin everything else on me because I admitted I was wrong about one thing, now they're going to say that I'm wrong about everything, which is obviously not the case unless you're dealing with a fucking narcissist. Um, someone who has assertive communication is going to always aim to, they're going to seek to understand. They don't just seek to be heard. So even if they don't agree with you, they, ju- they still want to hear your point of view so they can probably respond better, they can get to the, the bottom of it, quicker and, and easier without conflict, right? So they actually genuinely want to know where your head is at. They're the kind, this communication style is where you genuinely feel energized and happier when there is no conflict. There are people that feel more energized when there's conflict because I think a lot of people feel that they have something to prove. So they need the conflict, they need to be right. And that for them is how they prove their worth 
in the eyes of other people. That's what the, what they believe, right? But if you have this assertive style of communication, you're never aiming for conflict. You're aiming for resolution. You don't run away from conflict, but you're like, I genuinely want to fix this. I don't have to be right, but I need to get to the bottom of this. They're never going to yell. They're not going to abuse people, but they also don't let themselves be abused or yelled at. They will just draw a line and if it happens again, they will walk away. Maybe not permanently, but at least in the moment, they'll be like, no, I'm sorry, like this, this, I'm not putting up with this. Call me when you've calmed down and they will walk away. So in general, people with this kind of commu- communication style are the ones that kind of seem in control without being forced or creepy, just like relaxed control. It's not like everything they do is measured and controlled and no, 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 no. Like they, they make mistakes, they're whatever, but they're they're the ones that are kind of more calm and chilled and vulnerable and open. And it's like you kind of think like, wow, I can't raise one bad thing about you because you're probably already aware of it and you're probably happy to talk about it, that nothing's really – there's no weakness in that person because normally a weakness is something that someone's trying to hide or trying to pretend doesn't exist. But these people are more open about it. They're like, this is the situation. I'm wanting to work through this. So if you then raise up – like if you – bring up in a conversation what their weakness is, they'll be like, yeah, true, yeah, no, I do do that. And then kind of it's dissipated. That that attack has gone nowhere because they're not defensive about it. They'll admit their wrongs, they'll admit their weaknesses and they move on, you know. So that's what I mean when I say that they're like in control and calm, cool and collected. That's the kind of thing. It's not that they don't get passionate, but when it comes to communicating what they need or want, they are in control. So now that you understand all four styles, let's kind of – Look at what you can do. So the first thing that you're going to do is learn what your style is and what the style of your partner or your family or your close friends are, especially when you're in conflict. So think about times that you've had conflict and think about how people have responded or reacted. And it's really important to at least first acknowledge what your style is and the style of those people around you because then you can start start to – get a good idea of why things didn't work out the way they did or why someone got so upset or so offended. If someone's passive aggressive, then you're going to see why maybe they got so upset or so offended because not only did you not get to the bottom of it in the moment, but then when they stabbed back looking for attention or validation, you might have ignored it instead of being like, hey, this is obviously still affecting you. Let's sit down and talk about it or let's whatever. Now, the next thing that you can do, if you're in a situation where you think that it's more so your partner that's the problem and not you, which might, might be the case, it might not be the case, you've got to be very, very good at being accountable for your own actions. But if that's the case and you've got a partner who's got one of those, you know, other communication styles, you have to create a comfortable, open space for this person to be able to speak. Even if they're totally in the wrong, you have to allow that person to speak if you want things to get better. And it's not that you're lying down. Let No, you can still be assertive and calm. But if you are annoyed at how your partner communicates, but your response to it when they do open up is to be like, see, you do admit, and then you keep adding to it, adding to it, adding to it. What are they going to do? They're just going to shut down and they're not going to open up again. So if you're trying to improve the dynamic, you want to sit down with your partner. You don't want to point a finger because – These people are going to struggle with feedback in the first place anyway. And you want to open with, I want to change this. I want us to get closer with our communication. And I'm willing to sit here and for you to tell me where you see ways that I can improve. I'll start. I feel like I could get better at listening before butting in when you have something to share with me, for example. Do you agree with that? So if you can open where – 
one of the best ways to open in a conversation, and I'm not talking about take blame when there's no blame to be taken. Fuck no. I'm talking about you, not in an argument, you just approaching your partner saying, I want to talk about something. You know what? I feel like we could be so much better if. So this is independent of any drama. You're raising this with your partner. And for you, if you can acknowledge your wrongs or things that you can improve on, that automatically makes the other person feel like it's a safe space to talk, okay? Again, don't make shit up and don't throw yourself under the bus if there's nothing to to talk about. But always, if there's the opportunity to be honest and open, do it because your partner will take that as a fucking peace offering. They'll be like, wow, okay, you've really opened up and you've been vulnerable and you've shared something and about yourself. And they're, unless they're a psycho narcissist, they're not going to jump on it and attack you. They're going to be like, yeah, no, I think you're right. I do feel that way. I feel like maybe sometimes you've done that and it's made me feel this. And then you can say, okay, now is there something that you feel that you could improve on? So first put it in their hands. And if they're like, oh, I don't know. And then you say, well, I feel that. And then you can then talk about something that they could improve on. So that way, and I'm talking about people that struggle to open up. There are some couples that you can be so much more assertive, so much to the point, way faster. But if you're trying to get someone who always shuts down to open up, this would be my advice, to open it up in this comfortable space where you start talking about what you're willing to improve on and then see what they bring to the table. And then number three, you want to start to embody more traits of an assertive communicator. You don't have to be a pro, but communication and expression is the most important thing that you need to do. The first thing you want to do is learn to apologize properly, like I said before, and set the time for others to apologize as well. When someone apologizes, you don't take this as an opportunity to leap on them and attack them. You can still express how you feel, but you also have to allow this person to know that the apology was heard, at the very least heard. You don't have to accept it. You can say, I've heard it. Thank you for coming to me with your apology, but I don't accept your apology if you want. I mean, you do you, but if you're actually trying to mend something, then it's your choice if you're going to forgive them or not in the moment. But you have to hear them out. You can't be like, ah, you come crawling back and just fucking attack them. That's not going to get you anywhere. Then the next thing you're going to do is identify when you're falling into the role of the victim. If someone's raising an issue that you're a part of, it's really easy to feel like you're being victimized here because it feels like an attack. But it's just conflict that occurs in every fucking relationship. Okay. So you want to ask yourself, am I helping the me of now by avoiding it or by getting aggressive? Or am I helping the future of myself and the relationship by addressing it right here, right now? So often what's going to feel rewarding in the moment, what feeds your ego in the moment is often what's not going to serve you in the long term a good kind of guide is if I feel like I'm being vulnerable, if I feel this slight discomfort with vulnerability, you're going down the right path. That's a good sign. That that equals growth in the relationship. That equals getting closer to your partner. The next thing you want to do is pay attention to your physical state when things are, are, are heating up or when there's conflict. You want to take a few deep breaths and change your physical state. Because if you stay in that like kind of tensed up state, it's really easy for those emotions that are linked to that tense state to flow through like anger, anxiety, resentment, um, aggression, all of that. So you want to in the moment, acknowledge it, address it, change your state, move your posture, stand up, take a few deep breaths and try and just pause. The next thing you're going to do is understand and you can implement this, that it's okay to take a moment to chill out. 
It's not the same as avoiding. If you say to your partner, it's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine and walk away, that's avoiding. But if you say to your partner, there's a lot that I want to say right now, but I feel like right now I've just got so much going on in my mind that I'm probably going to say the wrong thing and I don't want to be aggressive because that wouldn't be fair to us and to to you, to me, to, to all of us. So I need... Sometime, just give me a couple of hours just to chill out because I want to approach this with it with a level head. That is not avoiding. That's saying I, I acknowledge how I'm likely, how what I'm used to reacting like or what I'm probably going to do and I don't want to do that. I want to step away and I want to have a, like a good level-headed think about what I'm going to say and then I want to approach it calmly. And any non-aggressive partner is going to say, you know what, I'd love to discuss it now, but I understand. Fair enough. You go and do that. And you also have to provide that space for your partner or your friend or your family as well. You have to, everything is reciprocal. So it's not avoiding, but understand if you know you're going to blow up, say, I can't discuss this now. I want to, and I will, but give me two hours. And then you leave the room, leave the space, exit stage left. Then listen, listen when spoken to, ask yourself, is this an attack Or is this feedback? Attack or feedback? Attack or feedback? Always be asking yourself these questions and be the bigger person. Don't leap to the, to, this is an attack. Don't leap to those conclusions straight away. Your partner might be really struggling to approach you about this thing. And then if you then go and turn around and say, you're attacking me, then your partner, when they tried to be vulnerable about something, is now probably going to shut down. This feedback doesn't have to be like a personal stab. It's personal in the sense that it's the two of you in the relationship and whatever. But they're not saying you are a bad person. You, they're just saying, this is an issue. Can we fix this? Or do you mind doing this a little bit differently for me? Yes or no? Let's talk about it. And the last thing is always have in mind what you're trying to achieve. Because so often we think that the best thing to do is to save face. Most of the time, your partner knows you a lot better than you think they do. And there's no face that needs to be saved. So you're really just hurting yourself and you're acting on this ego thing of like, I'm being attacked. But you always got to think, what is, what am I trying to achieve here? Am I trying to achieve more intimacy in my relationship? Am I wanting a successful, happy relationship in the long term? Or do I need this person to think that I've never made a mistake in my life? What is it going to be? Because your relationship can be so much better, so much stronger if you're willing to sit through that discomfort in the moment and ideally you want to get your partner on board with this and just talk about it or take the moment, take some time out and then talk about it. And if you struggle massively with that, you can even say, I need to take some time out and then you write it down and you, and you give them that piece of paper and just say, read through this because I'm struggling to, to find the words, just read through it and then can we talk about it? It's fine. You take the necessary steps. You don't have to be this, this instant, awesome, assertive communicator from day one because you might have spent the last few decades being a different style of communicator and it's just so weird getting out of that shell, okay? But that's what you want to do. That's how you want to approach it because ultimately the, the quicker you get to becoming an assertive communicator with your partner, family or friends – the faster that relationship is going to mend or improve or get more intimate or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve as far as like closeness and, you know, a beautiful bond. Anyway, guys, hopefully that that was a helpful episode. You can give this to your friend, family or partner to listen to if you think that they absolutely would benefit from identifying their communication style. And a lot of people don't know 
what their communication style is. And a lot of people don't realize the difference between all four and how they are separate styles. And sometimes it takes having them read out to you for you to be like, yeah, wow, true. I do that more often. And if you're really embarrassed, you don't have to admit it, but admit it to yourself. Okay. And just be like, yep, you fucking got me, Alexis. I'm fucking passive aggressive or whatever. And there are steps that can be taken. And people are going to see this pleasant improvement in my behavior, in my reactions. And it's going to be a good fucking thing. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I can't wait to also share everything that's happening on Sunroom. Oh, I'm so excited. This is going to be like the next big step for everything that I'm like making for the business and for the podcast and everything. It's very exciting. Anyway, um, Quick little shout out to my beans around the world. We have, um, we've got Nelson in New Zealand. Hello. We've got Richmond in Victoria in Australia. Um, Dusseldorf in Germany. Is that how you pronounce it? It's a very cool word. Just very cool name, city name, Dusseldorf. What is it? Dusseldorf. Um, slide into my DMs and tell me how to pronounce it, please. And then we've got Bergen in Norway. So thank you, my beautiful Global Bits, for tuning in to the podcast, for reading my book, for sharing all my episodes on your Instagram. I really appreciate it. And for spreading the word of mouth. I love you guys so much. And please remember, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone. And especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.